Hello, I'm Pastor Richard Wesley Johnson. And I'm Dr. Corey Little-Edwards, and this is the Elusive Dream Podcast. Yes, yes, it is. And may I just say, it is a pleasure doing this podcast with you, Dr. Corey. I have been enjoying myself too, Pastor Rich. It's been a good time. Yes, it has. Uh, And to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. And welcome to episode three, where Dr. Corey and I discuss systems of white supremacy Uh and the stories we tell. Mm, (laughs) Uh, We have a very special voice adding to the conversation later in the podcast. We'll get to that later. But before we do, let's briefly recap a few points from episode two. When we ask the question, what comes first, diversity or justice? The conclusion was fairly simple. It's justice. I'm just going to tell you right now if you didn't listen to episode two, but it's not always so obvious. No, it's not. Yeah, right. And that's the issue, because ultimately we tend to take the lives that we live, the everyday lives we live for granted. We don't Mm. really pay attention to how we ended up where we are. But what's happened as we look across history, uh, we've seen that the scales tip toward justice first and then diversity followed. Mm -hmm. We also know if we look at the Bible, we look at scripture, that God declares that God is a God of justice, that God loves justice. And so justice comes before diversity. That's right. And our call as the people of God in this beloved community is much higher than diversity. Diversity is something that the world accepts, but we're called to be just as God is just. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we get an amen, somebody? You can get an amen up Mm -hmm. in here, Pastor Rich. That's right. That's right. Well, in this episode, Dr. Corey, we're tackling the big subject of white supremacy, which by now is probably a swear word in Webster's (laughs) Dictionary. (laughs) I mean, people do not like that word. No, Uh, they don't. mm. And I think, man, some people would rather go back to the word racism. It's a softer word. However, if we don't name white supremacy correctly and work to uncouple ourselves from it, then we are destined to uphold it. That's right. That's right. And we've talked about it at the beginning when we started off this episode that we're going to talk about the truth. We're going to go there. And when we say racism, we are actually not naming what the real issue is. Mm. We have to be specific, as Mm -hmm. you said, if we are going to address it. And the issue here is white supremacy. That's good. So tell us. What is white supremacy? Well, white supremacy, and this is important here, Pastor Rich, it's a racial system. Mm. And it's a system that rests on the belief that white people are superior to all other people. It's important that we talk about it as a system because sometimes we can think of white supremacy as being an individual issue. It's Mm -hmm. just the person or it's about white people. But it's about a system, a system about rewards and consequences based upon whether or not you support or affirm white superiority or that you whether you challenge it. And so it's a system that's based upon that belief. What's also really important about this is that white supremacy um, is about power Mm -hmm. and who's worthy of power Mm -hmm. and who's deserving of power. And on the flip side of that. It's about who is not worthy of power and not deserving of power or less deserving or less worthy of it. And so at its base, it's about 
white people being superior to all other people and therefore they are worthy of being in control of the resources of this world and other people are not or at least less worthy of that. So I got to ask, when did white supremacy start? <laughs> it That's, wasn't just yesterday. <laughs> it wasn't just yesterday. That's right. No, it didn't, right? And there's some debate about that, to be honest with you, Pastor Rich, about where it started. I mean, some people may argue that it began uh, with um, the Roman Empire. Um, mm. But the modern day thoughts about white supremacy, what we think of today, uh, we think of it as starting with the expansion of empire really in that 15th century coming out of Europe where they began to um, expand empire and power across the globe. Now, initially, the idea was that white people were superior and they tied that to religion. They tied that to their Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so that people who were not Christian were therefore savages and therefore less deserving yes. of the land and their bodies and yes. their other resources that were that were part of the land, you see. Yes. So you're talking about the doctrine of discovery. Mm. I mean, we, the word doctrine ought to bring to people's minds theological concepts and yes. constructs that created the ideology that one was superior over another. And that's exactly where it came from. Mm -hmm. In the mid 15th century, the monarchies and uh, the clergy got together to legitimize colonization of lands outside of Europe. That's right. Legitimize is the word. Legitimize. And justify. And justify. Mm -hmm. And make it a religious perspective, not right. just a cultural one. I mean, they cultural too <laughs> and, yeah. and political and everything in between to make it a doctrine Anyone who was not a European Christian, they could go and claim their land That's and right. their bodies. And because because it was God's will. Because it was God's it will. It was God's will, right? Mm. And so that was what really initiated, some people argue, initiated this development of white supremacy. But over time, and I'm going to focus here in the United States, that began to change and move from a more religious argument to a scientific argument, or more specifically, a pseudoscientific argument. And that pseudoscience is eugenics. Right. And eugenics is a pseudoscience as we understand it now, but it was actually quite a legitimate, legitimated science mm -hmm. uh, in the end of the 19th century, in some ways was linked to evolutionary theory. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that there are human groups that have better genes than other human groups, and you should promote breeding, quote unquote, among people who are part of the groups with better genes. And of mm. course, who are the people with better genes? White Europeans. White Europeans. And more specifically, actually, those those uh, Anglo white, mm. white Europeans. Right. 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 Because that hierarchy actually was more delineated for some time. That is to say, there were some whites who were better than other whites. That's right. And then but below whites was all people of color. Right. And so that was what really organized white supremacy toward the end of the 19th century. But then that began to give way as as Nazi Germany thought, oh, that's really a useful science. Mm. We're going to use that eugenics that's emerging out of the United States to justify what happened in Nazi Germany mm -hmm. with the Jews, with the mm -hmm. Holocaust. Mm -hmm. So then that began to give way, and then now the arguments has moved toward cultural arguments about, well, we just have, you know, there's better culture, there's uh, culture that's more productive, and so on. 
So the the language, it seems, has changed. It's evolved. The studies that try to justify uh, supremacy, superior ideology continues to uh, morph from one culture and time period to the next, which makes people think, oh, it it really is not a system. Actually, it's just a heart issue, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's just an individual person's prejudice or personal hatred. And in that sense, they're looking for the bad apples, right? To scapegoat over oh, that right. one person's heart. And if we can just change that heart, then that person will no longer have that supremacy ideology. We need to think, though, about the larger racialized patterns in society, That have shaped the ideas, that have shaped the habits, that have Mm -hmm. become the behaviors. And I think we should also understand that racism and supremacy does not just go away. It evolves. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you brought up something interesting about the bad apple argument. You know, that only works or is it applied to people of color who are the quote unquote bad apples. And then Mm -hmm. they become the example for all people of color. But the quote unquote bad apples of white people, they are not uh, deemed as being examples of all white of people. Of the whole, right. Of no, the whole we can race think of group. some examples of that. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what happens. Right. So what's going on here? We're seeing the same justification for white supremacy, but it's done in a different way. That is to say, white people continue to be framed as being superior. Mm hmm. But the arguments that may give way over time because they don't resonate with the dominant culture at that time give way. But white supremacy stays intact. Yeah. Right. It continues to be justified. So that's the thing that we need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And it socializes us. Right. It continues to socialize us into a racial hierarchy. That's right. With black folks at the bottom. Black folk, brown folk, brown Mm -hmm. folk, people of color at the bottom, at the bottom. And it's no wonder. Um. Wow. It's just no wonder that our color is racialized and viewed negatively or even with some degree of hostility. So I, I think I, I think I need to go to your interview with Reverend Inez. Right. Oh, now. my goodness. Let me tell you. Reverend something. Inez Pastor Velasquez Rich. McBride. Pastor Rich. Woo. Pastor Inez brought it. I am so grateful that we had an opportunity to speak about these things. Pastor Inez is currently actually for our listeners. She's a chaplain at Fuller Theological Seminary, and she is a co-lead pastor of the church we hope for, which she co-planted with her co-pastor Bobby Harrison in Southern California. So we are going to spend some time right now uh, with our li- for our listeners to listen to Pastor Inez. Where I see supremacy, um, I, when I say supremacy, when I speak about supremacy, since I am a pastor and a Bible scholar, I like to begin at the very beginning. And I like to begin in Genesis 3. All variations and distortions and all forms and mutations of um, human supremacies have its origin in Genesis 3. So mm-hmm. God's design and desire was to create Adam and Eve and create them equal, equal before him and equal standing in front of each other as well. They're equal next to each other. There's equality at the table in Genesis one and two, right? He, God says to both of them, you will have authority and have authority over creation, right? 
But in Genesis 3, uh, because of the fall, we see this breakdown of relationships. They, they've broken their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. But their relationship with each other is unequal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the curse there, they, the serpent is cursed and the, the dirt is cursed. The, the woman is not cursed. Actually, if you look, mm-hmm. however, we treat women as if they are a curse, as if they are a walking curse. And so the consequence, though, of the curse in that male-female relationship, it says uh, your husband will rule over you. And that's where we get the beginning of male supremacy. This is why I say sexism is older than racism. Uh-oh. And it is important to see that. It is important to see that this supremacy of man over woman begins deteriorating. And then we have layers added. Genesis 4, there's a murder between uh, brothers. And then later we see the curse of Ham, right? And then later we see uh, categories of Jews and the nations and the other nations. And everything starts breaking down from here, though from Genesis 3. And so this is why I say, especially for us who are in multi-ethnic settings and doing the work of racial reconciliation, which I have been doing for 20 years in and through the local church, we must understand that this system of supremacy subjugates, suppresses, and silences women first. Mm -hmm. And it is justified by the order of creation, oh, Adam, was created first, so therefore she must, he must be superior over Eve and supreme over Eve. Um, it's justified by order of temptation. Oh, Eve was fell first, right? She mm-hmm. was deceived first, so therefore all women now mm-hmm. are easily, you know, easily tempted. And so we we need to understand that all oppressive systems that abuse power have mm-hmm. been built on the backs of women. Mm-hmm. All oppressive mm-hmm. systems that abuse power have been built on the backs of women and male supremacy is that first supremacy. And then we get raised, ethno-racial, socioeconomic, on and on and on and on. Ooh-wee. Reverend Inez just broke down so many paradigms in that discussion about white supremacy. She broke it all the way down. She oh my broke goodness. it till it couldn't be broke no more. Pastor I mean, <laughs> Rich, Pastor Rich, I was in that interview. I wanted to shout so many times. You was in. You was having church. I know. I was he having was. church. Yes, you. You would have stood up. You would have waved your hand. You would have said, "Tell it like it is." That's right. I would have said, "Amen," but I had to just. Yes, my listeners, keep it down a little bit. Yes. Well, well, you know, as I was listening to that discussion. I felt like she broke through the black white binary in this discussion. Mm, um, yeah. As a Latina, I felt like she added a perspective that the original system of supremacy started with gender mm. and not race, mm. <laughs> going all the way back to Genesis 3, you know, which it's easy for me to miss that detail as a man mm. uh, looking at the narrative through my own perspective, or as you like to say, Dr. Corey, your standpoint, mm-hmm. right? Our we always standpoints. Talk, What's your standpoint? That's right. We got standpoints. We got to own those. And Reverend Inez, uh, she can point to the origin of gender supremacy, sexism so clearly because she's had to navigate that as a woman in a man's world. Oh my goodness. Ain't that the truth? Right. Mm. And so you be, you're going to be more in tune with that. You're mm-hmm. going to experience that in a way that men will not, particularly because you experience the consequences right. of it. When we experience the privileges of it, we don't necessarily pay attention. We take privilege for granted. Mm-hmm. But when we experience the consequences, we, we are much more tuned. 
Yeah, so I'm a little bit even dis- more distant be- as a man. And I can say that even as a person of color, there are times when we failed to see that while our entire community is experiencing oppression, oppression is also being duplicated within our own group in such a way that women find themselves on the bottom rung of the bottom rung mm-hmm. in our internal hierarchical uh, society and charts and, and ladders and so forth. There's so much racism going on that we can miss the sexism going on, that's right. even in our own families and in our own relationships and in our own churches. That's right. That's right. And what Pastor Ines is, is pointing out there is that intersectionality mm-hmm. that the way in which women of color experience white supremacy will be particular also to their experiences as women mm-hmm. as well and those things are working together when i think of this particularly after the fall and you can see this in scripture but also in everyday life today that ultimately women's value has boiled down to their beauty and how they can be attractive Mm. and understood to be attractive. And in this world, as a result of white supremacy spreading throughout the world, that is boiled down to this idealized perspective on white women, that Mm -hmm. beauty is about an idealized version of white women. And that has caused a lot of damage for women of color. And that's an idea that's literally been spread all across the world. All across the world, right? Because it went out with that empire mm-hmm. that went out, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, when you coming across women that look different than white women, then those women are perceived as being inferior. Their bodies are perceived as being inferior. And because women's value has been connected to how they are there to serve men and be a, and get a man mm-hmm. <laughs> in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. Attract men. Then uh, that kind of understanding of what it means to be a woman and the value of a woman is based on that, right? Being able to attract men. Well, how have, how have you as a woman, cause I'm not a woman, mm. how have you as a woman experienced that personally? You know what? I think about, and this kind of, when I think about growing up and this, mm. again, this is how you take stuff for granted. Remember mm-hmm. we talked about taking it for granted. Mm-hmm. We don't even think about it. When I was growing up as a little girl, I would put a bath towel on my head. And I'd put this bath towel on my head to represent having longer flowing hair, Mm. which I don't have naturally. Mm -hmm. I don't have that. And so that can be a way in which we are perceiving ourselves as not living up to that idealized version of beauty, which is based upon a white woman's body. Mm. But that also manifests in other ways for women of color um, in different ways. So I think about our eye shape, Mm. some people's eye shape and how... People who are Asian, who have a hidden eyelid, there's actually a whole industry out there to reveal that, to reveal a double eyelid. Or to color one skin, to make it lighter. To make it lighter. Make sure you don't stay in the sun. Right. right? You don't don't want dark skin, you want light skin. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually a way in which white supremacy and sexism interconnect to reinforce an idea that women of color are inferior. Hmm. Now, let me let me try this on because I just said I'm not a woman. I'm a man. But what's coming to my mind is when I was younger, I wanted to be like Don Johnson, mm. the, the, the white character in Miami Vice, wow. because he was the standard of male 
success mm-hmm. and superiority. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Philip Michael Thomas, you know, the the not Afro. Philip Michael Thomas. Human, I, I know he was fine, he wasn't was, he? <laughs> you know I was going there. Oh. Was right. Yeah, man, that brother was fine. But it's like, <laughs> I, I didn't want to be I like that, brother. I little kid. I did I, think that, see, little girl. See. But you didn't want to be him. No, I didn't want to be him. And why didn't you want to be him? Because I, I, I felt like the standard of superior of success of mm-hmm. what you want to aspire to mm. is Don Johnson. Yeah. That's who you want to aspire to. Right? And so that right there illustrates that intersection of mm. of racism and sexism, mm. right? It's not just just about race, it's also being connected to well also are you a white man? Right. In the world. Yeah, I literally have a picture uh, in in like the 5th grade of a jacket I I got and a shirt I got that looked like what Don Johnson would have wore during yeah. that time. And you and and you were like, man, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to be like. Oh. It's just, so this affects us deeply. Yes. And yes. Reverend Inez touches on this so well. So well. This she intersectionality. Breaks it down. She really and so does. we're going to continue to listen to what Pastor Inez has for us. How do you see, so you had, I've heard you talk about that the curse is seen as a blessing. The yes. Seen as a blessing. And that, just how you say that is, it's like, you know, I hear you, but I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. When I see how women were treated in my church in Nicaragua, when I see that women were the ones, uh, you know, running the church, doing the discipleship, feeding the people, um, and, and you see extreme patriarchal uh, systems that subjugate women there. I still see in, in the church in the U.S. here where women are silenced, suppressed, and subjugated because they see the curse as a, of a, as a blessing. You know, oh, you must stay in your corner, stay right here. And so we're not invited into uh, certain leadership tables. We're not invited to certain pulpits. And so the pulpit comes with privilege. That's one way that I see it and has come with privilege. I never saw women preaching uh, in Nicaragua or as pastors, they preach once a year for women's day or for, for mother's day. They, they preached to, to children in Sunday school. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that that pulpit comes with white male privilege mm-hmm. uh, and that's just one way, but it begins deteriorating the Imago day of God and women. And yeah. so slowly, um, slowly they, as being subjugated, suppressed in silence, you stay in your corner and the church is not as, as strong as it as it could be because all its members are not running at full speed are not empowered at full speed because when you silence women who you're really silencing is the holy spirit Uh oh. and we don't benefit from a disempowered holy spirit we don't benefit from a disempowered church we need all its members um Mm. working together and so that's where i've seen the curse be shrouded with theological language and said, well, well, you know, women, there's gender roles and women can't do this. And these specific spiritual gifts are just, you know, exclusive to men. And yeah. you shroud it with theological language, with flowery theological language that I think it's less than faithful theology. Yeah. And you suppress, subjugate in silence. Mm-hmm. And in some places it is more overt, the yeah. subjugation. And in some places it's more polite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's still silencing uh, the Holy Spirit by silencing women.
Pastor Rich, Pastor mm. Rich, Pastor Rich. That was a word. Pastor Ness broke it down. She dropping the truth bombs in like two minutes. <laughs> in two minutes. <laughs> like, bam. Like, hold right? on, breathe. Okay. Breathe. Let that, me get a, hold on. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. When she talked about the silencing, the suppressing, and the subjugating mm-hmm. of women mm-hmm. and how that silences actually the Holy Spirit. And disempowers the church. And disempowers the church. And oh. disrupts the Imago Day. And disrupts the Imago Day. If y'all didn't get a word right there, I'm asked, just go back and rewind. It's really important because th- these are stories that we tell over and over again. Mm. And they are told in pulpits. They are told in Bible studies. Mm. You know, you tell somebody to do something, you change their life maybe for a day. You tell somebody a story and it'll change their life. Woo! Now here's the story that keeps being told about m- white male superiority is that it is the standard. That's right. Over <laughs> and over and, and over, over again. again. Yes. And, and, and unfortunately it impacts women, people of color, as well as poor whites. Right, Dr. Corey? Yeah, we got we to gotta bring class in there, too. We got to bring class in there, too. And, and we have willfully chosen not to see this patriarchy that persists contrary to the creation story in the beginning, as well as contrary to the redemption story of Christ Jesus. That's right. There are stories still being told today mm. that the curse of Ham justifies the slavery of African people. Yes, right. Those again, that's one of those ways in which white supremacy gets reproduced. Let's pull something out here and there, some explanation for why white people are in power. I mean, and I get it, power. right? I mean, you're trying to look for some explanation. Mm-hmm. You're trying to look for some reason. Lord, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. But I think that's from, you know, the, the people of color perspective. On the other perspective, you know, they're saying, well, I'm going to tell you why it happened because it's <laughs> <laughs> this is where it says it in the Bible. Uh-huh. And this is what you need to do to live into it. That's right. This is what God said. This is what God said. This is what and God it's said. twisted over and over again yes. and used to justify the supremacy of one race or another. And you know what's so whack about that, Pastor Rich, is that people brought God in on this plan. Mm-hmm. They're going to use God as a way to justify their their supremacy. I mean, what does she say? That's not a faithful reading of the text. That's not a faithful mm, theology. That is not faithful. That's, you're not yes. even being faithful to the text and your understanding of the good news. Yes, yes. And so people think that they are, they don't recognize rather that they're ultimately sinning against God when you do that. So is there a, I mean, what is this force that, that keeps, you know, pushing its way into our, our culture, our ethnicity, our mm. relationships with one another? What, what is this force? Yeah, yeah. So what's really interesting is that white supremacy began with force, right? Okay. Forcing people you know, to to be subjugated to to white people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about the kidnapping of people from Africa, bringing them over here, enslaving people. We're talking about the taking of people's lands, uh, First Nations people's lands, pushing them back through war and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's happened is that actually uh, takes a ton of resources, Right. And so people who are in power, they don't want to be doing that all the time. They don't want to be constantly trying to force people. So what happens is they tell stories 
Mm. Like you talked about over and over again. And then what happens is we begin to believe those stories. Mm. We begin to take them in. By we, I mean people who are subordinate. Now, this is the deal, right? What happens is we take on the dominant culture and we begin to reproduce the dominant culture. And I talk about this actually in The Elusive Dream where I Mm -hmm. talk about white hegemony. Okay. White hegemony. Break it down. And all white hegemony is, it's a white supremacist system where the dominance and the ideologies, theologies, norms, and values are taken for granted, not just by white people, but people of color. So are you talking about like an internalized racism? Like we've internalized it ourselves to the point we don't need anybody to tell us. Mm. We just start telling ourselves. Yes, yes. Because it's very difficult to resist that. Mm. As you know, it's, over, it's all over the place. We can begin to internalize an understanding that white people are superior and they ought to be superior and that people of color or us in particular, and we're talking about us, we talking about black people are inferior. Mm-hmm. And so we have work to do to decolonize ourselves, to yes. get that out of our systems. Because as Pastor Ines was saying, that is contrary to what God says about us. Yes. And it's contrary to the Imago Dei. Yes, yes. That we are. So, I mean, you, you've been in church almost your whole life. Almost my whole life. <laughs> almost, 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 almost. I mean, you've heard this preached mm. before. Yes. What's one way you've heard it preached from the pulpit? Oh, my gosh. You know, it reinforces this ideology. Well, you know, and Pastor Rich, there was this time when I was in college and I was listening with me and a few friends. We were watching like a, a video or something of this very, very prominent black preacher. Mm. And he was preaching to a black audience. Mm. And he was saying that the reason why we were enslaved or our ancestors were enslaved and brought to the United, to Americas is because God wanted us to be introduced to Christianity. Mm. So that's how he justified it. Now, what was worse, what I remember is watching the crowd. Like Mm -hmm. all the black people are like, yes, amen, God saved us. Mm. And I have to say this, Mm. you know, I, here I am, a early 20s person. I'm listening to this very prominent black preacher. I was like, okay, you know, I, I was like, okay, I can see, okay, I can see how God was working in that way. That makes sense. That justifies it. Mm. But we know that that's not, that's not in fact the truth. Yeah. For one, Christianity was in Africa well before the colonizers came in and tried to introduce their version of uh, white Christianity. Yes. Right. We know that it was almost, over, what, 17, eight, long time ago. Long right? time ago, couple, yeah. A couple thousand We're years. We're talking right? about a, the origin of the church coming out of northern Africa mm-hmm. and actually being spread throughout uh, southern Africa as well. Yes. Uh, the Ethiopian Empire. Yes. Um, the Orthodox um, Church yes. had a presence in Africa well in advance of colonization. Yes. But see, we ended up taking an explanation to really, I think, fill in that gap Mm -hmm. to try to make sense of why would God allow this to happen to us, right? And to deal with the pain of that. So the curse becomes a blessing. So the curse became a blessing, Mm. right? And, but we, that is a, that is not being faithful to not only history, but mm. not faithful to scripture. Yeah, that that's, yeah, that, and that just gets reinforced so much to the point where we really have to, 
listen carefully to the language that's coming out. Uh, we have to listen carefully to the conversations that we're having. I, I can think of the time when I was uh, in this multiracial group. Were you there? Too? I was with you. Yeah, that's right. Wow. You were there. We were in this multiracial group. We're having all these conversations about what we're going to do in our city. And we finally gotten to the point where we said, let's just spend some time in prayer. And we spent about it felt like an hour in prayer. I mean, we were deep in prayer and we come out of this prayer. And, and one of the, one of the white men who were there said, says, wasn't that just a great prayer time? And another one says, yes, I think, I think I've got the answer. We just, we just need to love everybody. And we just need to tell everybody about who, you know, who God is. Mm -hmm. And I just stopped and I was just like, I'm sorry. I remember I'm that. Sorry. I remember that. I'm so glad you did that actually. <sighs> It was so heavy on my heart because in the prayer time, I noticed every person of color who was there, African-American, and there was an Indian man as mm -hmm. well. When we prayed, we cried out. Yes. We lamented. Yes. We even repented. Repented. We repented of, of feelings and, and things and ideas that we held on to. And not one white person there repented in their prayer, lamented in their prayer, was sorrowful for anything. Mm. And so I said that out loud. We haven't come very far, folks, mm. when all the people of color here can recognize that there's some work to be undone yes. and you feel like you've done everything that you can. Yes, yes. And that was, I mean, I was so, as I said, so glad you said that and brought that to light because that was a true truth that needed to be spoken. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me in that moment, God really used that prayer to unearth That's some right. of that, as we've talked about, internalized racism in me. And what's interesting is this had just happened a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, God spoke to me, and it, and it just came in my spirit. It just was this, Corey, you believe I need white people to fulfill my purposes. Mm. And I was so hit in my spirit by that, Pastor Rich. I was so hit in my spirit because... What it told me is that I was placing white people above God. Mm. Now, people might hear that or mishear it and think what I'm saying is God doesn't want white people or right. love white people. That's mm -hmm. not what it was. Mm -hmm. What was being spoken to my spirit, what I felt in my spirit was basically God was like, Corey, I don't need anybody to fulfill my purposes. Mm -hmm. I don't need anybody to do that. Mm -hmm. And as we were saying, God is that God's purpose is justice, making things yes, right. Yes. And God doesn't need anybody to do that. Yes. And it hit my spirit so hard. There was like a, a, a chain that broke, a freedom. Yes, there was right? a freedom there. That because came in. absolutely it was such a freedom. Mm -hmm. Because I learned then that this is about what God's gonna do. Yes. And I don't have to worry about thinking about well, I better make sure these people are, are approving of it or this person is right. approving of it. The question on the table is, does God approve of it? Does God approve? Does, what does, does God, God please? And it, it actually made me think about um, Moses. Okay. Um, Moses, you know, uh, Moses is called by God, mm -hmm. right? Let me read something for you that really um, hits me where God is telling Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, let's think about that for a minute. God just said to you, 
that I am going to, I, you can do it. God said, but you say no. And so this, this kind of internalizing of the word of man, which is say, no, God, it's not, I'm not worthy. And God's saying, no, I am. Mm -hmm. I'm saying you're worthy. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to begin to tell ourselves the stories of what God's telling us and stop telling us the stories of what man is telling us in particular, what a white supremacist system is telling us. That's right. That's so good. Well, we have one more clip of Reverend Ines. Let's go to that. Let's go to it. And wrap this thing Let's up. hear what she has to say. And you've talked about, you know, we've been talking about particularly uh, in this podcast, white supremacy. Uh, and speak a little bit about that. How do you see that manifesting in the church and then its connection to gender? I saw it the most when I moved to a different kind of work, a predominantly white church that had been white since its inception for 20 years. It was actually my husband's church. I moved there for almost eight years as well. I was hired as a first Latina. They wanted to become multi-ethnic. They wanted to become transformed and be racially unified, right? Mm -hmm. And they hired the first black pastor. Then they hired me. And that is where I saw the demon more clearly, especially the all that happened around also the 2016 election. Mm. The 2016 election, I think, simply unpacked and revealed and exposed what has always been there. And mm. I saw it in my interactions with people. I saw it in the way that I was, even though I was an ordained pastor, I was not allowed to preach there because women could not be pastors. But I thought maybe if they just see my witness, they'll, they'll allow me to preach, right? If they just see my good works, they'll, they'll, they'll see that I'm a pastor, even though I had credentials, right? Yeah. They never did that. Um, and uh, they were not even open to the conversation about women in leadership because that toxic masculinity hides mm. behind, um, let me say it another way, wherever there is racism, there's always sexism. Mm. and wherever there is sexism you should ask where is the racism here <laughs> and those things are inseparable in my life mm -hmm. I cannot separate myself from my gender or my ethnicity mm -hmm. and so wherever you see racism you ask where is the sexism here wherever you see sexism you say where's the racism here mm. Mm -hmm. so the fact that they were not allowing me to preach may have been shrouded with oh well we just are a little more conservative in our views about women mm -hmm. but then when I went off to seminary and I came back to visit one summer and the, my, my, the pastor that was there, who is actually now my co-pastor, he and I are planting a church now, said to the elders, oh, we should have Ines preach because, you know, she's from our church. We're supporting her to go to seminary. We should invite her to come to preach. Oh, it was an act of Congress to allow me to give me authority to preach. Mm. And it was a whole issue about that. And uh, to make a long story short, you know, half of the elder board, all male, did not want me to preach. Um, and then it, when they said that I was allowed to preach, they said, but we can't call her a pastor. And she, we can't say that she's preaching because women can't preach, but we can say that she's teaching, right? <laughs> they went through all these gymnastics. Through all these things, exactly. And the last thing, and the last thing, invite her. Okay, invite her. But she can't talk about social justice because we see in her social media all that she is talking about, all this social justice and the social gospel, you yeah. see? Yeah. So they hide behind, they hide behind the shrouded language of sexism, but mm. it is also racist, mm. right? When you say mm. to someone, 
like looks like me, the summer that all these children um, were were caged at the border. This was that summer. Wow. The summer they they said, tell her not to just preach Jesus, but tell her not to preach the gospel. Mm. And I had to mention, I had to mention, I was like, well, this may be the last time they invite me to preach. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I had, how can you divorce Jesus from justice or justice from Jesus? We have to have a Jesus-shaped justice. Pastor Rich. Pastor Rich. Say it again, oh, Dr. Corey. Say it again. goodness. <laughs> Did Pastiness lay it down <sighs> again or what? You know what? I'm going to just say we're going to have to have Pastor Inez at Sanctuary Columbus Church. I'm you just know gonna... <laughs> what? You know what? Because she needs some more time. We need, <sighs> need more time than an interview. There were so many things she said that just was speaking to my spirit. And mm-hmm. I had to shout some hallelujahs mm-hmm. and say some amens. One of those things had to deal with that language issue. Okay. Right? Right. I mean, that's like a little slick move there. It really is. And it. And there were so many layers on top of the language mm-hmm. and the cultural um, experiences that she had that mm-hmm. were trying to be silenced, yep. suppressed, and, and subjugated. subjugated. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's so, right. Right. Like, I mean, how's she going to they going to come up to her and talk about, you know what? We want you to come. But you can't preach. But right. you can teach. But you can teach. Or, you know, after she gets the degree. Yes. The the MDiv, the Masters of mm-hmm. Divinity, which is, you know, the top degree for practicing clergy. That's right. Still, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's like and this is the deal with supremacist systems, right, is that they in many ways feel like rigged systems because you can yes. try to play by the rules and do everything you thought you were supposed to do. In this mm-hmm. case, having the proper training and education Mm -hmm. perhaps it's about demonstrating that you're a real servant in the church Mm -hmm. perhaps it's about having the right attitude and still it's like well you can do all of that and mm -hmm. it will still come down to you well you know what i don't know if you're quite deserving of that i I don't know if you're quite worthy of that that's what i was yeah and so how does a person maintain their belovedness, their God-given mm. identity when someone is telling them, yes, you, I know you accomplished that, but you're still not worthy. Yes. And you know what you do? You go back to what the word says. What does God say about you? Not what does man say about you? Mm-hmm. Not what worldly systems say about you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what does God say about you? Yes. And we have to realize again that when we don't listen to what God says about us, that is an affront to God. When I go back to when I was talking about how God really convicted me, my conviction in my spirit was because of because of that affront to my God who I loved mm-hmm. because I chose not to believe my, believe my God. Mm. And so what do we do? We have to go back to that over and over again. And we have to, in the beloved community, reinforce that in one another. That's where that mutuality comes from. That's right. Right. If we are seeing a sibling in Christ who is not living out that Imago day, right. Mm-hmm. And affirming what God says about them, mm-hmm. then it is us to say, you know what, brother or sister, this is how I see 
uh, you. And this is how I know God sees you. Yes, I remember uh, early time uh, in Sanctuary of having a woman preach. And in our preparation, she kept using the language of teach, mm. that she's going to teach when she teaches. I said, no, 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 no. Listen, you are preaching. You're going to preach the you word. You are going to preach the word. Bring it. This is a proclamation of God's word. You stand under the authority of God. Mm. You don't stand under the authority of Pastor Rich when you're up there preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. when you're in the, in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. You stand under the authority of Christ Jesus. Amen. You are preaching. Yes. And so we have to we do have to remind each other of our God-given belovedness and identity to dismantle and deconstruct and disconnect <laughs> ourselves and disrupt, and disrupt <laughs> and from this. How many decolonize. B's can we get up oh, in Oh, man, we can get a few more, I think, uh, if we had <laughs> some more time. But it is a process. Yes. It is a process. Yes. it's a. Di- I would say it's a spiritual discipline. I would agree 100%. Mm. It is a spiritual discipline. It needs to be included in the pantheon of spiritual disciplines. Come on now. <laughs> that we do this work. Amen. So, Amen. Dr. Corey, what are, what are your final thoughts here today? Well, I will just reiterate again that we really do need to be believing what God tells us mm. uh, and not what man says. You know, white supremacy for all people ultimately is about people not choosing to believe God, Mm. not choosing to submit to the sovereignty of God, but rather to believe the word of man. And that could be that's for white people and people of color. That's for all people. Quite frankly. That's right. right? Because, I mean, I'm going to go back to that story about Moses. I didn't talk about it, but toward the end of that thing, after toward the end of that conversation, so to speak, between Moses and the Lord, Finally, God was like, I'm, he got angry with Moses because Moses kept coming back, right? And so, you know, we have to, li- and that's about not listening to the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. being obedient to the sovereignty of God rather than the word of man. And I would also suggest that, you know, we often think about what does that mean for people of color, right? How do we go about reinforcing in ourselves that we are made in the image of God. And that makes me think about Mm. uh, something I read, actually. It's a devotional by uh, a professor at Emory by the name of Teresa Fry Brown, and she highlights in there uh, the story of Bishop Henry McNeil Turner, who was a preacher in the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, and he would often declare in his preaching, God is a Negro. Okay. God is a Negro, and he did that, as she is arguing, because he wanted to emphasize in black people that black people are made in the image of God. Mm. And we have to see each other, see ourselves like that, that we are made in the image of God. But you know what else? God is also Asian, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. God is also First Nation. God is also Latino, Latino, right? We got to be able to say that. And we have to also say that God is Anglo, right? That's right. And so we are all made in the image of God. But then there's another side of that coin. What's the other side? The other side of that coin is that when white people invest in white supremacy, what they are saying is that God is not sovereign and they don't have to submit to God. Mm. But they're also saying that they don't, sort of a lack of trust in God and God's love for us, right? Because you're not seeing that 
your value has nothing to do with your whiteness. Mm -hmm. Your value has nothing to do with what you can do. Our value is in who God says we are. Yes. And that God says, I love you as is. Right. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove yourself worthy or prove anybody else less worthy. You don't have to prove yourself deserving or anybody else less deserving. You are loved because I love you. Yeah, and it really forces it, when when one holds that identity, then it forces them into that sort of works based, yes. <laughs> you know, salvation. It is. It's not. It 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 actually works against the grace of God. Mm -hmm. It is a barrier to allowing the love and grace of God to enter into your life when you are invested in a worldly system that quote unquote makes you more worthy or deserving. Right. Right. And the gospel is so good. Paul in, in Galatians 28 lays a pathway, I think, for addressing any system of supremacy. Mm. There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so we must renounce all social hierarchies mm -hmm. if we are truly to be one in Christ Jesus. That's right. Because there's only one hierarchy. Only one. And who is it? It is God. It is God. And it is us. And, and we're is, below God. And we are and below we, God. We are to be submitted to Amen. God and in ah, and the sovereignty of God. Amen. Shoot. We just had church today. We just had church today. We had Pastor church Ines today. took us to church. Thank you, Pastor Ines. I, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode three where we talked about systems of white supremacy mm -hmm. and the stories that we tell. Yeah. And may we start telling the true story and some new stories. Amen. Amen. We may we begin to reinvest in the words that God says about us. Amen. Well, thank you all uh, for listening today and subscribing and sharing the Elusive Dream podcast. Yes. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we really appreciate all the shares on social media and the reviews. Our hope is that it helps you further the conversation about what it means to pursue true justice Amen. and racial equality as the beloved community. Amen. 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 And where can they find you, Pastor Rich? Well, you can find me on the Grams. On the Grams? At Rich Johnson <laughs> online and on Twitter, I think Richard Wesley. And how about where we can find you, Dr. Cora? Well, I am on Facebook and I am also on Twitter. And you can find me at Corey Little Edwards. That's spelled K-O-R-I-E Little Edwards. I'm so pleased to be doing this with you. It's such a, a, a special opportunity. I feel I feel blessed. <laughs> you know what, Pastor Rich? I feel blessed too. No, Thank I really you. it's a it's been it's been a blast. It's Amen. been great. Amen. Hey everyone, the dream may be elusive, but it is attainable. Amen. Indeed. Yeah.